thinking this morning and last night and conversation with Roger a couple days ago, in Acts, it's, it's more like the Holy Spirit is out front. Um, in Acts chapter 9, Philip hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading scripture and has to run to catch up to what the Spirit is doing there. Peter can't get his head around uncircumcised believers and has to catch up through a vision that the Spirit gives him. And in today's text, uh, the Spirit is out front of Paul um, to folks who aren't uh, followers of Christ by name. They're not Jewish or Christian, and yet they live out uh, the Spirit of God. And so I think maybe the way to frame what we think about today is that the people of God are surprised and catching up with God's Spirit. Amen? Hey, listen along then for the voice of God in Scripture from Acts chapter 27, and then we're going to read down the first two verses of the 28th chapter. Before reading that again, they are on a ship. Paul is imprisoned with other prisoners. They've been out to sea for... 14 days without eating prior to this, uh, and we are about to encounter the shipwreck that they have. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea. And at the same time, they untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast, would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, and he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the sheep, ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire, and they welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, guide us by your word and by your spirit, that in your light we'll see light, your truth, freedom, and in your will discover peace. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you, for you are our rock, You are our Redeemer. You are the source of our strength. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 19 years old, pregnant, with a bruised eye and a busted lip, Coralie, a gray hooded sweatshirt covering her head, Coralie walked through the doors of Rosen Christian Ministries and said to no one in particular, I need a place to stay. Expressionless, she said again, I need a place to stay. A staff member welcomed her. 
showed her to a table, gave her an application, helped her fill it out. She was shown to her room, given a towel, uh, given some, some new clothes, fresh linens for her bed. Katie Vestrati, our shelter director, introduced Coralie and I. And when I went uh, to introduce myself, I reached my hand out. She never took it. She never lifted her head. We never made eye contact. She stood stone-faced and silent, never reaching out to shake my hand. After a hot shower, a change of clothes, she shut her bedroom door for the first night of calm and quiet that she'd had in months. The next morning she got up, knocked on Katie, the shelter director's door, her office door. She pulled up a chair, still didn't lift her head entirely, but lifted it a little bit, took a deep breath. One tear fell down and before a few minutes passed, she was bawling, weeping, and telling her story. It was two years later, this past February, I stopped in on a Saturday. It was a cold February day. I stopped in on a Saturday morning. Coralie, who no longer lives in the shelter, was upstairs. She had asked permission to use the kitchen in the shelter to bake a birthday cake for her two-year-old daughter. When I walked in, her eyes twinkled. Her eyes danced. She had a big, bright smile on her face. As she was smearing pink frosting on the cake, she wiped some of it off her hand and reached out her hand to mine, and her eyes were lit up. She invited myself and anybody else that could hear to come and celebrate her two-year-old daughter's birthday with her. You know, the transformation... The transformation in her, her, her disposition and her demeanor, the transformation in the light that was in her eyes was nothing short of remarkable. She came through the doors of RCM traumatized to the point of being unable or unwilling to make eye contact or human connection. And two years later, she's baking a cake and inviting anybody who could hear to be part of her community with her and celebrate with her. Now, it's also true. There's Coralie the day she came in, and there's Coralie that day two years later. What's also true is that there's a real person in between those two extremes. She's a survivor. She's formed ways of being in relationships. She's formed habits that have formed deep grooves into her and I, into her. But Coralie, like you and I, is still on the journey. But the change in her from detached indifference, the change in her from hardness to engaged, joy-filled kindness has pressed my soul to consider the transformational power of love when lived out in grace-filled community. And I believe that the world needs that kind of power right now. And I believe the world needs that kind of transformation right now because there's a whole lot of hurt. There's a whole lot of pain. There's a whole lot of misunderstanding. And there's a whole lot of trauma. I don't know how you get defrocked as a preacher. I could think of some ways. 
don't spend a lot of time talking about sin with congregants, with members of the church. We spend a lot more time with people who've been traumatized than digging around and thinking about what we need to do better. And I don't think that's just true of Roseland. I think the primary lens right now is trauma. Willie James Jennings from Yale Divinity writes this. He says, there is a loneliness born of trial and trauma that attaches itself to body and mind, pressing us to turn toward despair. So where there is despair, go back down the road a little bit and you're probably going to find some trauma. Boys and girls sit in empty classrooms or classrooms with an empty desk in their room because a classmate has been gunned down. Trauma. Undiagnosed mental illness and men, women, and children left to fend for themselves on the streets, bouncing from abandoned building, sleeping in a car, sleeping on a bus stop, to a shelter, to an hour of warmth on a pew on a Sunday morning. Trauma. Generational addiction. Trauma. A boy born a ward of the state, neglected, beaten in a foster home, grows up, spends a decade in prison, and is now a grown man, hungry and in line at Rosen Christian Ministries, waiting for something to eat. Trauma. He doesn't need a preacher to preach at him about sin or someone to tell him to get a job. He needs to be cared for. Every single day at RCM, there's a community of people who've been traumatized by poverty, violence, systemic racism, abandonment, mental illness, and addiction. Trauma. And to different degrees. I believe the same is true of Hope and Pullman. We are a traumatized people right now. RCM board member Tracy Stelly She's the principal at Lavazo Elementary, used to be Vanderblissen, two blocks west of Roseland Christian Ministries. Lavazo is a great school. It's the only international baccalaureate school in the 60628 zip code and surrounding zip codes. They score well. They take students to Japan. It's a great little school. This past year, November 14, eighth grader Kevin Tinker was gunned down, shot and killed. Empty desk in his classroom. Teacher trying to figure out how to teach to a classroom full of kids who trauma. Two days later, his mother goes to light a candle at his vigil, and she's gunned down and killed. Trauma. Trauma has the power to disconnect us, to lead us to despair. Brene Brown writes, of all the things that trauma takes away from us, perhaps the worst is our willingness or even our ability to be vulnerable. There's a reclaiming that has to happen. And I believe that the only thing that opens the door to our ability to be vulnerable is God's love lived out daily in the community of the church. The words of our baptism, we love because God first loved us. Because God's great love for us and because the power of God's spirit, we're called to 
choose love daily. Thomas Aquinas writes, to love is to will the good of another. It's not about liking. Martin Luther King said to like is a sentimental thing, but to love is to make a choice every day. It's a decision. And so what binds us together in this room then is that we believe the transformational power in committing our lives together as community to welcoming those who've been traumatized, broken brothers and sisters, to, to welcoming people that recognizing pain, acknowledging people's pain, affirming people's humanity, and allowing the Spirit of God to strengthen us to love our neighbor as ourself daily. Again, from Willie James Jennings, only a word of life, only a word of life can silence the loneliness born of trauma, a word found in other believers who understand the power of grace-filled invitation and hospitality. Trust is built. People connect. Community forms. And a reclamation happens. Amen? But what does that look like? The easy thing to do is to get up, preach a little bit, wave a finger, and say, we need to love each other better. We need to love each other better. I love the little story from Acts chapter 27 and 28 because I think it gives us a look into an ongoing act or disposition that we can inhabit. In the Bible, in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul is imprisoned. He's aboard a boat on the Mediterranean Sea. The boat crashes, the prisoners are thrown overboard into the roiling waters of the Mediterranean Sea. Paul and the prisoners are washed ashore on the island of Malta. They have been traumatized by weapon. They've been traumatized by wave. And if I use my sanctified imagination, I imagine that as they're on the beach and they're coughing up salt water and Scared for their lives, traumatized, don't know who to trust, don't know how to make eye contact, human connection. I imagine that they're encircled by the folks who are native to the island. I imagine they got spears and they encircle them. Who are these strange people on our shore? And yet, that's not where the story goes. It seems as though the Holy Spirit is already out front. Acts chapter 28, verse 2, the New King James Version says it this way. It says, the native people showed us no ordinary kindness. They kindled a fire. They received us, everyone, because the present rain and because of the cold. They showed us no ordinary kindness. Paul's shown no ordinary kindness. He's given refuge from the rain, warmth from the cold, perhaps a little something to eat, and he's able to keep on the journey. One writer puts it this way. He says, The Maltese action toward the shipwrecked was a surprise of grace, was a surprise of kindness that would be re repeated in so many other contexts and so many other centuries that followed. And the church has never learned to see such kindnesses as what it actually is. Signs of the Spirit's presence with the people as a precursor to a holy joining being orchestrated by God.
Where's the spirit out front of us right now? Where are these acts of no ordinary kindness happening right now? I believe that we have a call to build, sustain, encourage, and support communities that live out that holy joining and that no ordinary kindness. I believe that those are the places where where, where we will survive, where we will make it, where we will connect, where we will build. I believe those are the places where God's spirit is at work. And my guess, think of Paul shipwrecked on the island of Malta, think of Corali on the south side of Chicago, and my guess is that you are here today because somewhere along the way there was a holy joining. Somebody showed you no ordinary kindness and pulled you in. And here we are. We are the church. We have a call to build, sustain, encourage, support, and show in our life as congregations no ordinary kindness to whomever God sends. For these are the places where I believe God's spirit is at work, transforming, connecting, building up those who are traumatized in this world. Maybe that happens. By the way, real quick, that first night, Coralie stayed in the shelter. When she went to bed that night, she pulled up a quilt made by women from Hope Church. My guess is, a few weeks later, Coralie had a meal, a breakfast, made by folks from Pullman, which is loved by people at Rosen Christian Reformed Church. Maybe it happens at summer camp at Roseland. Maybe it happens at VBS here at Hope. Maybe it happens at family night at Pullman. Maybe it happens in the fellowship and in the life of congregations worshiping together. But we have a call to live out, to catch up with the Spirit, showing no ordinary kindness. Hey, one last story that for myself, and I hope this is an image that sticks with you, because for me it's been maybe the most important interaction I got to hear about in the last year. Um, And it for me is the picture of no ordinary kindness. Lisa has been walking the streets, Michigan Avenue, for 30 years. Short, got a crooked leg, she walk up and down Michigan Avenue in the grip of an unforgiving addiction. Three decades on the street has taken a toll on her body. She scratches her neck, she scratches her arms, her hands shake, she's got little control over them. She has difficulty speaking, her words are mangled and she can spit when she speaks. Well, this past winter, a cold night, she'd had enough, and she came to the door of the shelter and knocked on the door. I need a place to stay. Let me in. The staff person upstairs in the shelter did the same thing they did with Coralie. Gave her a fresh set of linens, some towels, some clothes. Lisa took a shower. She began to take the first steps to care for herself again. Got the new clothes on, she looked in the mirror, she began to comb her hair. She took out a comb and she lifted her arm, but as she tried to comb her hair, her arm trembled. She wasn't physically able to get the comb in her hair. She struggled, she can't get her hand up. 
And finally, Anita Williams, RCM staff in the shelter, saw her struggling and said, baby, come sit down. Lisa looked at her. She doesn't trust people, disconnected, traumatized. But again, Anita said, baby, come sit down. Lisa sat down. She looked up at her. Anita took some hair product, took the comb from her hair, and began to comb her hair for the next 20 minutes. No ordinary kindness. May God's Spirit fill us with the love of God to catch up to wherever it is the Spirit's moving and to live out no ordinary kindness. Amen? Amen. 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 Thanks be to God.